Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gibby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is back stateside this week for UFC 268 live from Madison Square Garden. We've got all the goodies for you right here in this episode, including Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, our gambling breakdown of the show, and some great interviews for you guys. I'm going to kick off the show by talking to Billy Quarantillo, who is fighting on the main card of that against Shane Burgos. And I'm talking to Chris Curtis a little bit later on, who talks about the craziness of being booked for seemingly a dozen fights and finally getting to make his debut this upcoming weekend. But before we get to any of that great content, I do have to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports bet- better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports gambling, so head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you the thoughts on upcoming contests in every sport imaginable. That's right, every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there, you can check out my bonus pick each and every week that you can only find on the Top Turtle MMA page on Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready. For Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Billy Corantillo, who fights Shane Burgos at UFC 268. That fight is on November 6th. In New York City. And I want to talk about that first, Billy. Uh, you know, you, you've fought in the Apex for pretty much your whole career, with the exception of, of your debut. I mean, the, the pandemic really got kicking like three or three and a half months into your UFC career. How nice is it to be booked in New York City, in Madison Square Garden for this fight? Oh, man, it's uh, it's a dream come true. You know, uh, I've wanted to you know get in the UFC since I was about 15, 16 years old. Uh, growing up watching, you know, professional wrestling, watching football games, hockey games, um, I always kind of dreamed of, you know, fighting in front of big crowds, fighting in, in front of huge audiences. And, uh, yeah, the pandemic was, I, you know, I got to fight in D.C. And then we were looking for, you know, another, another you know, huge event like that. And the pandemic started. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's been a blessing in disguise or not, you know, but I was able to fight three times last year, which I'm, you know, super grateful for, you know, I know a lot of people weren't able to work and, and this or that. So as, as happy as I was that I was able to fight, this one is definitely, you know, what I came for, what I, what I got to the UFC for, what I've always wanted. Um, and it's something that I actually was talking to Dana White about in between the second and third round of the last fight. And, you know, talking to him, uh, you know, while I was fighting pretty much that I was like, listen, Dana, I love the apex. Uh, but man, I, I would love to fight in, on a, in a U.S. stadium show. And he kind of gave me like that look, like you know, handle handle this fight first, and we'll see. Um, and uh, yeah, I couldn't ask for anything better. I asked for the MSG card, and I got it. And uh, now I'm 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 prepared. I, I've had a great training camp, and I'm ready to get to work. So, so you said you in between the second and third round, you were chirping Dana for a spot on a big and a big stadium show, specifically MSG, even um, in what was his response after you did go out there and finish Gabriel Benitez? Yeah. So it was, it was one of those things. 
Um, you know, you never know. Uh, you know, I've, I've fought in front of Dana a bunch of times now, but for whatever reason, it was the first time at the Apex that you know how quiet it is there. And he was literally right behind, like, where my stool was. So I kind of, you know, when I first get walked in the cage before the fight, I, I noticed they were all there. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, to to, to make things more nerve-wracking, you know, you, you got your boss right next to you, you know, watching. So I didn't say anything at first, but, you know, the fight was going pretty good. And in between the second and third round, they were looking at they were looking at Benitez. Like, the doctor was looking at him. So I was, like, talking to Dana. I was like, Dana. Like the next one's got to be at a stadium. Like, come on, man, let's do this. And he, he kind of just laughed it off. And then after the fight, you know, I got the finish. Uh, you know, there was probably about five minutes in between when the fight ended and they announced it. And then I started talking to him again. Uh, and then on the microphone, I, you know, I, I heard rumors about the Madison Square Garden card. I wasn't sure if it was going to be a real thing because of COVID and, you know, and the pandemic and, and how New York is handling this whole thing. Um, so I, I, you know, I took my shot. I asked to fight at, at Madison Square Garden. I wasn't expecting a top 15, um, but looking back on it, you know, you know, talking to my manager and all that, it kind of makes sense being four and one in the UFC, three finishes coming off that big performance. Um, and then when they told me it was going to be MSG and they asked me if, it, if, you know, I was cool with the Shane Burgos fight, I said yes immediately. And, you know, and then we started the training camp about eight weeks ago. Um, so it was, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in you, 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 you get what you asked for, or you're, you're, you're never going to get it if you don't ask. So I just felt like, you know, after that performance, that was the best time to ask. And, uh, luckily it worked out and, uh, now I just got to go and deliver so I can keep getting on these big cards. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned in there too, it is a ranked opponent for the very first time. You know, you, you've had a pretty long run in the UFC. You know, you, like you said, you've put together a good record. You're four and one. You said a little bit there that you were surprised that you were getting a ranked opponent at first. What what was sort of the reaction when they they called you? You said you said yes right away, obviously, but like you know uh-huh. the, the aftermath of that. Yeah. So um, yeah, the reason I was surprised was um, I've never been a, a big like caller outer. You know, like uh, when they give you the mic after, I've never really been a big. Uh, you know, I'm ready to fight this guy, and the the reason why is because I don't ever look past anything or anyone you know what i mean so i don't even like to plan like after parties because you know for me like i have nothing planned after this fight i don't have any vacations planned i don't have anything because that's that's any ounce of that is going to take away from my focus so going into the benitez fight i didn't really have a name to call out but i know how important it is in the ufc and a lot of times when you call people out you get that fight because you're kind of helping them do their job. You know, you're, you're, you're naming people. So going into that fight, I was coming off a loss to Gavin Tucker and I didn't really think of any names, but I remember watching like the Charles Rosa fight. And obviously I don't have anything against Charles Rosa, but he was just someone who's been in the UFC for a long time. He came off a big win too. So on the spot, they're like, who do you want to fight next? And I'll, and, and I'm looking at my coach and he's like, basically giving me like the sign, like speak up, speak up. So I was like, Oh man, you know, like uh, Charles Rosa and, that was kind of a mindset before the fight. But then looking back after that performance, of course, I was, you know, coming off a huge win like that. Now I've won, I've won four out of my five UFC fights. Now they're, they're basically looking to see if I'm ready for a ranked opponent as opposed to, you know, coming off a loss. That must have been a fight that they would have made, if that makes sense. So I don't really ever look past anything. So I wasn't looking, you know, I didn't really have a name planned out before that fight. Um, but once after the fight happened and everything was settled down and I looked back on my performance, 
I, I knew I was ready for a top 15 opponent. I just didn't think um, that they were going to be too keen on it. I thought they were going to make me, you know, take another fight. Uh, but now that we're here, man, I, I know I'm ready for this fight. I know I'm prepared. I'm 32 years old. I'm in my prime. It's the spotlight. This is where I have my best performances, and uh, I just can't wait till next Saturday. Well, we're looking forward to it, too, and I appreciate the insight out of that. Now, I wanted to ask you another question about this card, because like you said, it's a massive card. It's in New York City. It is going to be in Madison Square Garden, the the home of combat sports, really. And you look mm-hmm. at the, the fight card, you're listed on the main card. Not only are you listed on the main card, you are after a fight between New York legend, New Jersey legend, Frankie Edgar and Marwin Vera. Yeah. When you saw that placement, what was that like for you? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what, so originally um, I was going to be on the, like the middle of the prelims and I didn't care at all. I was just happy to be at, at Madison square garden. You know what I mean? Like I, I was in no position to be like, Oh man, I should be on, you know, I'm not ranked yet. So I, I, I didn't even think about the main card. And then it was funny because the Sean Strickland, Luke Rockhold fight dropped out and the UFC actually interviewed me. One of the guys at the UFC, my, my guy, Tom uh, interviewed me. And he was like, you know, that Luke Rockhold fight dropped out. Like, would you like to be on the main card? And that was the first time I actually even thought about it. And I was like, oh, man, you know what? Like, that's a good point. I should be, you know, yelling from a rooftop that they got to put us on the main card. But I didn't even think about it because, again, I was just ha- I'm happy to fight at Madison Square Garden with fans. You know, jump- coming from my last three fights at the Apex, why you know why would I even ask for that you know so I didn't even find out I was on the main card until I was watching one of the fight nights and they announced it and they're like here's the 268 card and it was one of those things I looked up and I saw my name I was with my wife and I was like oh I'm like oh crap there I am and then it took me a second to realize I'm like oh shit I'm like that's the main card I'm like oh my god so I just got chilled and it's you know you couldn't write a better story not only is it obviously the biggest venue and, you know, the, the most famous arena in the world? It's, for me, obviously the biggest matchup of my career, top 15 opponent on the main card of one of the best cards we've seen all year and in a very long time. So I'm just blessed to be in this position, and uh, I'm just really excited to get in there and get to work and show the entire world what I've been training for for the last, you know, 12 years. Absolutely. And, and so we've talked a lot about the buildup. We've talked a lot about finding things out, but we haven't talked a lot about that training that you said you put in. And, you know, I was snooping around your Instagram. I noticed you've been doing some work with the light heavyweight boxing champ, Antonio Tarver. Can you tell me, first of all, how, how did that come about? And second of all, you know, did, did you ask him to be part of your fight camp? How did this wind up being something that uh, was like a partnership for you? Yeah, yeah. It was just, it, it was one of those things that kind of fell into place. Um, so obviously, I heard out it was going to be Shane Burgos. Obviously, he's a great striker, great boxer. And I wanted to uh, bring in, you know, a different, you know, just kind of add to my camp. We didn't lose anyone. I still have my Muay Thai coach, Dan Rawlings, who, um, you know, we've gone to battle several times. And he's super open to always adding new, you know, and I have my head coach, Matt Arroyo, my brother, Jim, Matt Fervola, the steamroller, my teammate, who those guys are all going to, you know, help me out with the camp. Um, But what happened was, I've obviously been a boxing fan, you know, growing up, it, it was boxing. That's, you know, MMA wasn't as big. It was, it was boxing and then it turned into the UFC. So I obviously knew who Antonio Tarver was. He's an absolute stud. Um, and it actually worked out. One of my friends is actually like a friend of a friend. Um, we went out to a meeting and they were, he was talking to me about sponsorships 
But then I realized that he was friends with Antonio Tarver, and he's like, oh, man, you got to meet him. He, 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 he's, you know, great dude, super humble, yada, yada, yada. So he's like, let me introduce you guys, and if you guys hit it off, you know, maybe you guys could, you know, link up or something. So sure enough, I didn't even realize this, that he actually was training people at a gym that he that he's still doing. He trains people at a gym that's like 10 minutes away from my house. So I went there and met him. And he was super cool, like super nice guy. And he's telling stories about fighting all these le- all these legends back in the day, and telling the story about being on Rocky and all this and that. Um, and then we just we hit it off. And he was like, "Yeah, man." He's like, "Let me know if you want to get some work in." And, and uh, you know, I paid him for some private lessons. Uh, and we've worked together. We we've probably done about maybe fifteen, you know, maybe ten to fifteen private lessons together, and linked up a bunch of times. And he's really just developed my game, kind of like just working on my punches developing more power turning things over um but not only that what i really like about him is he just tells me stories about you know when he would fight and his mentality and how he how he would act fight week and how he would you know look at his opponents and i love being around people like that that have been there done that have been in venues and in situations that i want to be in and has made the money and the fame and all that um, so just being around him, I'm I'm just a sponge. I just listen to everything he says, and it's just really cool that to have that addition to the team. Uh, I'm going to continue working with him after this, and I like it. I know I have a great team because they were 100% supportive of it. You know, I I don't like being around those coaches that are that they don't want you to talk to anyone else. It's only them. So he's been a great addition to my team. On top of the guys that I've worked with, all of my coaches now for over 10 years. So it's just uh, like I said, it's everything happens for a reason and everything's coming together perfectly for this fight now it, the ball's in my hand and i just got to make sure I, I do what i do best and, and handle business absolutely and let, let's talk about that too because you know usually before i let my fighters go I, I like to get a prediction out of them now you said you're feeling more confident in your hands you you mentioned that shane burgos you know that he's known for being a striker not necessarily known for being a grappler how do you see this one ending you're gonna go in there and show us what uh those hands are all about now Absolutely. And, uh, you know, he's Shane, Shane Burgos is a very good striker. He's good at takedown defense. He's, he's mixed in, um, you know, he's got a very well-rounded game. Um, so my goal and, and my game plan is just go in there and beat him everywhere, you know, do everything I can do to get this win. And, and I'm willing to die in there to get this victory. It's, I it can't go to the judges. It can't, you know, the dream scenario is a big knockout win. I'll take a submission win. If I have to grind out a gritty decision because he's very tough to finish, I'm very tough to finish. Um, he's never been submitted. I've never been submitted. I think he's been knocked out twice. I've been knocked out once. And we've all, both had over, you know, 30 fights with counting our amateur record. So I, I know what I'm in for. It's going to be a long night. It could be a long night. I'm expecting a three-round war. But if I, I know I could land my shots. I know I hit really hard, and everyone says how hard he hits, and I've obviously seen it too. So it's just two dangerous fighters going in there with a lot to gain and a lot of momentum. And it's one of those fights that the winner can move on to really, really big things. And the loser is, you know, back at the apex, probably back on fight nights or, or whatever. So I don't even want to think about that. But like I said, I'm willing to do everything I can do to win this fight. Well, we are certainly looking forward to it. And once again, fans, this is Billy Quarantillo who fights Shane Burgos at UFC 268. That fight is of course, in Madison Square Garden on November 6th. Billy, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Ah, no problem, man. I appreciate you saying my name last name. You nailed it. 
Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Billy Quarantillo. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Vreeland. Joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, a lot of stuff came out of UFC 267, but the thing that has got people talking, the thing that has got people interested seems to be Kamzat Shemaev. Not only did he go in and put together another fabulous performance, this time he does it against a ranked opponent in number 11, Li Jingliang, and he does it yet again without taking a punch, and... While having a conversation with Dana White mid-fight, there's so much to say about him. But give me your first reaction. How impressed are you with what he's doing? Yeah, I mean, 10 out of 10 impressed. Now, this always goes down. You can get very carried away on hype trains and limited data points. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of, like, Ronda Rousey ending a lot of fights via armbar in, like, a minute. Or, like, Brock Lesnar steamrolling his way through his first few fights other than getting caught by that knee bar with Frank Mir. I need to see him take some punches here. I need to see him go into the second and third round, and that takes nothing away from what we've seen thus far. It's been amazing. I obviously am buying stock, uh, and I like that he could probably go up in weight as well. Uh, you know, this this is definitely a, a centerpiece for the UFC to potentially build around. But that all being said, it's like, yeah, let's get him the top 10 opponent or a Nate Diaz, a name opponent who he can keep building the resume off of. And especially with Nate only having one fight left on his contract, I think that makes a lot of sense because the UFC would want to send him out on a smothering loss. Um, could Nate surprise you because he bends, doesn't break, and he might hold a striking advantage because what the fuck do we know? We've only seen the guy take one punch. Yeah, that's possible too. But, you know, I think that could also easily be written off as just like, well, it's Nate Diaz and he's crazy and he wants to go box on fucking Triller or YouTube or bare knuckle fight or do something crazy. And it just is what it is. We know Nate Diaz is not necessarily a championship caliber guy. Uh, so bit of a gamble, I guess. Maybe I'm talking myself into it a little bit more if Nate were to pull off a win against him. But I think the odds are that Shimiev would just steamroll right through him and build his name off of Nate. And that all being said, uh, you know, there are some other top 10 guys I'd really like him to fight like a Wonder Boy because I'd love to see how he deals with Wonder Boy striking. Yeah, I, I think the Nate fight is... It, first of all, it's the right fight for the UFC, right? Like, if Nate's going to go out and has one fight left, you might as well get as much name value out of Nate Diaz as you can by by basically taking all of his street cred and putting it onto your new star who seems to be willing to fight for you every single weekend. So, yeah, that, that's a perfect move from the UFC. Whether or not Nate takes it, obviously, to be seen. And, and yes, if we're talking about from a pure sport standpoint, I have no interest in that fight, and I want to see Kamzat fight somebody, like you said, like Wonder Boy. Or, or even just somebody who I'm more positive will stuff his wrestling. Like, the top of this division is filled with guys who I think stop a takedown really well. You know, like, and, and I know this is going to sound like the worst matchup ever because people are going to be like, that's who you want Kamzat to fight. I, I would have liked to seen him fight Leon Edwards as he was originally scheduled to fight. Leon Edwards is a good striker. Leon Edwards does do a good job of stuffing a takedown. You know, people will remember Leon Edwards for taking a fifth-round punch to Nate Diaz, but he outclassed Nate Diaz before that. So I'd like to see him against somebody like that. Obviously, that doesn't sell quite as well. i also say this. I saw it floating around Twitter up at uh, 185 pounds were he to go up. There is a guy looking for a fight who is supposed to fight this weekend, and that's Sean Strickland. And I, I think that fight's got some interesting implications to it, too. He's a top 10 Middleweight, he's fought up at middleweight before and knocked out Gerald Mearshard up there. So 
I mean, I'd like to see that fight as well. So, I mean, obviously there's lots of exciting fights for him. Whoever they book him with will sell like hotcakes. I do think they are going to maximize who they book him with, though. Agreed. And I love that he could go up or down 170, 185. Uh, the options for fun opponents is limitless. But I'll tell you what else is exciting and going to sell like hotcakes. It's our favorite segment on the show. It's Fights, Dogs, and Parlays this week for UFC 268. Banger of a card at MSG. So exciting. Gumby, before we get into it, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh, so much more. Ditch that ju- dirty jujitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right. Main event is a really fun one. It's a rematch of Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington. These two last fought at UC 245 almost exactly two years ago. Feels like it was yesterday. What an exciting fight. Usman got the TKO uh, four minutes, 10 seconds into the fifth round. Uh, broke Covington's jaw in that fight. Very back-and-forth fight. Uh, Covington, I guess his output decreased as you got into that fourth and fifth round, but he was also tagged, too. So I don't want to just get, you know, I don't want to just chalk it up to, oh, Usman had better cardio. I mean, you're dealing with two cardio machines here um, and two guys who are very good wrestlers and going to be very tough to take down. The last fight was fought largely on the feet Usman, since that fight, reeled off three ridiculously impressive performances, uh, overwhelmed Jorge Masvidal, one being Adam's decision in July of 2020, TKO'd Gilbert Burns uh, in February of 2021. That was after taking some fire and some really stiff shots from Gilbert Burns that really probably the most trouble uh, Usman we've ever seen him in. Uh, but he came back to win that fight, and then he came back again and got Jorge Masvidal off a rematch that he really didn't deserve. But long story short, KO'd him brutally back in April of 2021. So he is undefeated in the UFC. He reminds me so much of GSP when it comes to just having that crisp jab, utilizing the wrestling when he needs to, um, multiple ways to win. Haven't seen the same jitsy performances out of him that we did out of GSP and I think he's a harder hitter than GSP but there is something to be said there about these two welterweights and he's clearly moving up the ranks you know for me it's GSP one goat 170 and you know I think Usman is now making a case that uh he is number two and close to number one dethroning Matt Hughes who I've always put at number one but that's another conversation for another day excuse me Matt Hughes who I've always put at number two Colby Covington on the other hand Gumby is coming up a win over Tyron Woodley via TKO it was a mopping over five rounds uh Woodley ended up injuring his rib uh but uh that is what led to the quote-unquote TKO end of the fight that was back in September of 2020 so we haven't seen him in a year he's only fought once while Usman has fought three times since they last met. And if you want to know the odds on this, it's Usman at a very solid and strong minus 300. But you could get Covington at a plus 245, which could be attracting to, attractive to some gamblers. What say you? 
I'm still not really particularly attracted to that plus 245 line. I originally thought I would be when I saw this line post. I'm like, ah, the first one was closer than that. But, you know, you kind of mentioned it here in the lead up to the fight. What have we seen out of Kamara Usman since then? We've seen real solid development out of his game. We've seen his striking become crisper. We've seen, uh, you know, him go in against a striker and not be afraid of striking with him and, and take it to him, right? Like he took it to Jorge Masvidal, who everybody was like, oh, he's at least got a puncher's chance for as long as it's standing. No, he doesn't because he got beat up on the feet too. So we've seen Usman continue to make gains like that and... I would argue, as you can with just about every fighter we're going to talk about in a second, a lot of that is largely due to Trevor Whitman, right? Like, he's working with Trevor Whitman now, and he wasn't before. He was working at the American Top Team before. Now he's working, or or was it Sanford? It might have been Sanford. Sorry, um, mixing up the Florida gyms. But now he's working with Trevor Whitman. It's clear he's progressing in, like, a very impressive way. Whereas Colby Covington, meanwhile, has taken one fight in that amount of time. He's changed teams, it seems like, three or four times. Is now working at a MMA Masters, which is Florida's third team. And, and like, did, did he look like a world beater boxing Tyron Woodley? Not really. And he didn't really look like a world beater boxing Robbie Lawler, other than, like, Robbie Lawler just loaded up on a punch for 30 minutes that he never threw. And... I think for me, that's why I like Kamaru Usman in this fight and why I think the line is probably in the right spot. I might not be enticed to bet on Kamaru Usman at negative 300 because that's kind of a lame return, but I am pretty sure he's going to win this. Head to head, it, yes, you go with an Usman win. Given the odds, I don't like Usman as the 3-1 to one favorite. I just think Colby has so many... Uh, closely matched skills while I would give Usman the advantage almost everywhere. It's not like I rate Usman as a 10 and Covington as a six. When it comes to striking, I probably rate them like an eight and a seven when it comes to gas tank and cardio. I think they're neck and neck when it comes to employing their wrestling. I think they're neck and neck. I find them to be very similar in skill sets. But Usman is the better fighter. So that being said, I don't mind Covington at the plus 245, but I could also see why you would want to lay off it. It's definitely Usman head-to-head. That's the safe pick. Let's move on to another very exciting rematch. Rose Namajunas, now the two-time champion, is a minus-120 favorite to Weili Zhang, a plus-100. Uh, Rose is coming off a head-kick knockout over Zhang Weili back in April of 2021, so just earlier this year. Weili looked so dominant heading into that Rose performance. She had never lost in the UFC, and Rose just continues to shock the world. Uh, Much closer odds than the main event, maybe even a more exciting matchup when it comes to not being able to predict what will happen. Let's hear what you think will happen. So for me, I really enjoyed watching Rose Namajunas fight in rematches. I think while her first fight with Ioana Janjacek is more impressive because she went out there and just flatlined her, right? Like hit her with that big bomb, followed it up with the punches, got the finish. The second fight is masterful. Like I'm really impressed the adjustments she made, the the technical upgrade she does. And you could say the same thing about her loss to... Uh, Jessica Andraj, and then following that up by beating Jessica Andraj. She looks better. She makes adjustments. She's a really meticulous fighter. 
And I think while she went out there and knocked out Wei Li Zhang in this one, I, I think in this one I, you can expect her to be more technical and stay away from all of Wei Li Zhang's offense. And I think ultimately that plays right into her hands and she looks really good doing it. Uh, I'm going to take her here and I'm going to say that if you're going to bet, I, I don't mind the line here on Rose, first of all. But I also like the go the distance line. I, I think if you think this fight is going to uh, end quickly because Rose knocked her out the first time, I think you're crazy. Uh, I think this fight is going five rounds and it's going to be a hell of an exciting fight. All right, well, I'll tell you what else is going to be a hell of an exciting fight. And it, breaking news here, it's actually going to kick off the pay-per-view, if you can believe it. It's Gaethje and Michael Chandler. Wow, what a matchup. Uh, Gaethje coming off the Khabib loss. That was back in October of 2020, so we haven't seen him in a year. Before that, he had such an impressive win streak in the UFC, beating the likes of James Vick, Edson Barbosa, Donald Cerrone, and Tony Ferguson, all via KO or TKO, but then ran into the buzzsaw that was Khabib on what looks like Khabib's last fight ever. Chandler, on the other hand, 1-1 one one in the UFC since coming over from Bellator. Uh, he beat Dan Hooker via TKO in his debut, and then... It's one of those things you look at in the history books and almost scratch your head, then fought for the vacant UFC light heavyweight champ or excuse me, vacant UFC lightweight championship and lost to Charles Oliveira via TKO. So I really like both guys coming off the loss. Such a pivotal fight for both of them as they look to scratch and claw their way back to the top and a potential uh rematch for the title where both of them have lost when challenging for the belt. Uh, so must win for both Gaethje, the minus 175 favorite, Chandler, the plus 150 dog, who you got? I'm going to go with my third straight Trevor Whitman trained fighter, and that's Justin Gaethje. Um, you know, I, I think for me in this one, I am a little bit worried that Chandler's going to come out and wrestle more. Um, you know, I, I kind of worried a little bit about that with the Charles Oliveira fight, but Oliveira stuffed it. I feel like Gaethje's got enough to stuff it too. From the striking standpoint, while Chandler is a good striker, I just think Gaethje's got more weapons. Gaethje's also got a better chin. You know, we've seen Michael Chandler now get knocked out by Charles Oliveira. Um, and no offense to Charles Oliveira, I just don't see him as that much of a power boxer, right? Like, he, he's he's got good boxing, but he's not a power puncher. And he, there he is. He just put, you know, Chandler on skates and then knocked him out cold. So, yeah, like, I, I like Gaethje for all those reasons. I also think the leg kicks are going to come into play. I think Gaethje's going to chew up Michael Chandler's leg kicks. Um, so, yeah, for the third straight breakdown in a row, I'm going to take a Trevor Whitman trained fighter. I, I have no arguments there. I'm picking Justin Gaethje as well. I don't think the wrestling will play a factor. I think if Chandler looks to stand and bang bro, I like Gaethje's chances there uh, better. I find him to be a more technical striker. Our dog of the week is uh, Strong Island born and fighting in his home state in New York. It's Ally Aquinta. He's back. Plus 125 over Bobby Green. Yeah, I I, ooh, I did not know what to think about Ally Akita's return to the UFC after being away for two and a half years and selling a whole bunch of real estate. But for me, like Bobby Green has had a tough time with a couple of guys in a row who have been able to stuff his wrestling and wrestle him back. And dude, if if there's anybody out there that can do something similar, it's probably Ally Akita, right? Ally Akita you know, particularly good at stuffing takedowns. Ally Aquinta, particularly good at, at getting some of his own when he really needs them. I mean, we even saw it in the Habib fight. He stuffed Habib a little bit more than I think anybody was ready for him to do. So, 
to go up against Bobby Green, I, I think that's going to play really well into his hands. And as long as he looks like the ally Quinta we've seen in the past, I think, you know, the plus money on him is a good play. All right, let's get to our parlay to play this week. And it's an interesting one because typically when we do our parlay to play, you know, we'll end up throwing in a pretty strong favorite in there, but it ends up getting you plus money on something we're very sure of in this case. We're going to go with two very slight favorites uh, in Nasardine Amavov, a minus 122, and Chris Barnott, a minus 105. But you pair those two together, minus 122, minus 105. Parlay them. They both need to win, obviously. We all know what a parlay is. But it gets you plus 255 odds. Let's hear it. So a couple of things about this fight. So first of all, Nasardine Amavov, I'm a big fan of Nasardine Amavov because he, he's looked exceptionally good with the exception of the fight with Phil Hawes, um, who was just kind of able to control him. And, and one of the problems we've seen with Edmund Shabazian time after time after time in his last two losses, um, and even some of his wins, he's had a lot of trouble with that. So I think Imabov is going to just pick him apart, um, which is crazy to say because a little while ago we were talking about Edmund Shabazian being like the second coming. And originally, I would say, too, Imabov was a huge favorite when this line first posted. A lot of money coming in on Shabazian. So I think even if you wait, you could probably get him even even a lower number here, possibly even turn dog by, by fight time. And the same thing with Chris Barnett, who, uh, Huggy Bear, man, he didn't look great in his debut against uh, Ben Rothwell. But he's fighting Jean Vellante, a guy who is notoriously doesn't give a shit about his career anymore. He's gotten super fat, super slow, and has maybe the worst cardio in the heavyweight division. And my God, is that saying something? He was outstruck by a big fat guy last time in Jake Collier. He's going to get outstruck by a big fat guy this time in Huggy Bear Barnett. Uh, so pair those two together, plus 255. I'm loving that number for this weekend. Boom. That wraps up this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We'll be live tweeting during the fights this week at Top Turtle MMA. Let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty with some of these picks. We love the fan feedback. Gumby, this train is a moving down the tracks. Where are we going to stop next? So the next place we're going to stop is my interview with Chris Curtis. I have to say this has been one of the more fun interviews to talk to because he talks a lot about finally getting that chance in the UFC. The guy has been through a crazy long career, including winning on the Contender Series, not getting a contract, weighing in a couple of weeks ago, not getting to do that fight, not sure if he had a contract. He tells us all about it, and you can hear it all right now. All right, and joining me today is Chris Curtis, who fights Phil Hawes at UFC 268 on November 6th. That fight is in Madison Square Garden. So, Chris, I want to start here. Let's talk about the roller coaster that was last month. You get a call to fight Phil Hawes on short notice. There's all kinds of insanity that happens next. But, you know, you've been waiting for this call for a really long time. So let's start here. Tell us about how you got that call and what the emotion was like for you. Uh <laughs> It was funny, man. It was uh, the third day before that weigh-in, uh, the day for weigh-in. I had just gotten home, had a hard day of sparring. Like, I actually like kind of got my bell rung in that sparring session. So I was like at home, uh, had a giant dinner, had like two pounds of like chicken and vegetables and stuff, whatever. I go upstairs, lay down. About three minutes later, I hear like footsteps like screaming up the stairs. And uh, my manager comes knocking on the door. I'm like, hey, what's up? He's like, what do you weigh right now? I'm like, I don't know. Does it matter? And he's like, can you make 185 by tomorrow morning? I was like, I don't know. Got on the scale, it was 197 pounds. And he's like, you know, if you can make 85, we fight Phil Hawes tomorrow. And I was like, all right. So we jumped up, did a run, ran to uh, uh, LVIC, got in the hot tub, and we sawned it off. Hassan in the hot tub did off. 
and we were like, screw it, man. Like, it's not the way I wanted to get in. I want to get into contenders. You know, I want to get in with some fanfare, but screw it, man. I'm in, I'm in. That's step one. So I'll get in. I'll take whatever I can get at this point in my life. <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you know, obviously even more craziness ensued after that, right? Phil Hawes decided he didn't want to fight on short notice against you. Uh, then James Krause talked about possibly having it. How, how much of that conversation about possibly fighting James Krause, who insanely stepped on the scale when he was coaching somebody, how, how much of that talk were you involved in and were you prepared to fight James Krause? Uh, I, I wasn't like, so I didn't get to talk to Krause cause he was there doing his other stuff. Uh, after I waited in, I had to go run and do some other last minute medicals and whatnot. And I get the call that like Krause doesn't want, uh, not Krause, but uh Hoss doesn't want to fight. So we're like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Then apparently Krause, uh, Krause talked to my management. He's like, Krause like, Hey, I'll fight. It's fine. So they were like, you fight James Krause. I was like, yeah, man, I just want to fight. I want to be in the UFC. And James, like James Krause knows my management. James Krause is a good dude on top of James Krause is just down for whatever. I don't think he cares. He's just like, he's down to scrap. So he knew, you know, like my management knows how much, how important it was for me to get this uh, A fight. And James Krause was like, screw it, I'll do it. So I was like, all right, I'm down to fight James. He's like, you know, no hard feelings, but if you need to fight, I'll do it. Because James House is just, a, uh, James Krause is just a psychopath. <laughs> that that he is now I, obviously okay so th- this roller coaster continues the the cancellation afterwards because they decide james Krauss can't fight on six seconds notice uh and just weigh in and then try to cut weight which is i mean reasonable because like you said he's a psychopath uh yep. w- what was your emotion after that because obviously i, I don't know how, how much you knew did did the ufc guarantee that you were going to get another shot did, did you feel like you were going to get another shot what what was it like so I had no guarantees that anything would happen because apparently the contract I signed was contingent on my fighting. So I showed up cool and I had to take into account, I guess no one really thought about like what happens if the guy, the other guy pulls on the replacement, like no one thought Hawes would pull. So we were kind of in this weird limbo to where like, I didn't know what my contract meant. So I'm terrified I'm going to get released. So Lance Stallion and Jason House, my manager from Iridium, they're talking to Mick Maynard, like, trying to figure out what's going on and, like, trying to get me on the on the roster. Uh, Sean Strickland calls Mick Maynard, like, asking him to keep me. And there's just, like, there's just there's a lot going on. But, like, everybody pretty much hit Mick Maynard up, like, please don't cut this guy. Like, you know, I was ready to go one fucking three hours notice. Let's go. So I ended up getting – he uh, Mick ended up keeping me, thank you. And uh, he took care of me. Like, you know, Mick's a good dude. And uh, I guess you realize I've been struggling for this for a long time now. So he ended up keeping me on, taking care of me. And, uh, you know, I'm forever grateful for McManor for that, man. You guys have no idea. Yeah, well, we, we've got a little bit of an idea because if we followed your story, you know, through your time on Contender Series, CES, uh, PFL, and, and I want to ask you, because all of this happened, right? All, all of this craziness, you know, the non-guaranteed contract, the different opponents, the quick weight cut. All of this happened after you had announced your retirement two different times. Talk, talk to us a little bit about what kept bringing you back to MMA. What kept bringing you back to this dream after that craziness? Dude, like when I first started uh, MMA, my dream, I wanted to be in the UFC. I wanted to fight in the UFC. I wanted to succeed in the UFC. So not getting like getting a highlight reel knockout contenders not getting and not getting signed really hurt. Like that that crushed me. And I was just like I went out there, I broke my hand in the very first punch I threw in the first round, broke my left hand. And then I went into the fight with a torn groin. So I was just like, you know, I still thought I fought my ass off and put on a performance. 
even injured, did a highlight reel knockout and like in front of the boss and didn't get signed. And that was just crushing, man. You're like, what do I have to do? Like, I'm never going to get it. So then they convinced me to do PFL. And I was kind of hesitant on PFL even then because, like, I was afraid that if something went sideways, I would never even have an option to being signed in the UFC. I was like, I, I was confident in myself. I was like, man, if this goes sideways, I'm even further from the dream than I wanted. And uh, they convinced me to do it. Lo and behold, shit went sideways. <laughs> 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 Quit sideways in the most spectacular fashion. Always, uh, I'll always say I, I succeed big, but I fail big as well. So like, yeah, when uh, it, it definitely failed in spectacular fashion. So then I was like, well, it's like, what am I going to do now? Like, I'm further away now than I've been in years. And I was just going to be done with it. Like, all right, you know. So I talked to my son, who was 12 at the time. And the two years, I was talking to him. And I'm like, okay, you know, well, maybe I'll just move back home and quit fighting. And you guys got to understand that my son was three weeks old when I had my first fight in MMA. And I was amateur fight. So, like, he's. His entire life, all he's known me as is a fighter. Like, God, I think I've been fighting, like, full-time pretty much since he's, like, a year old. So all he's ever known me as is a fighter. So I told him, like, you know, I'm going to come home, get fighting, you know, quit fighting. He asked me, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, uh, I don't know, something. He was like, but what are you going to, like, he's like, what are you going to do? Like, he didn't get it. And he couldn't wrap his head around, like, me being anything other than a fighter because he knew that that's what I did, that's what I was. He was very proud of me. He's always in power, but he's just like, this is what you do. Like, I don't understand what you're going to do. And I was like, I think he has a point. Like, what the hell am I going to do? Like, this is all I know. I've dedicated 14, the last 14 years of my life to this. Like, I've sacrificed all other skills I had to pursue fighting. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> so all my eggs are in this basket. But, like, fortunately for me, man, the basket's still good. So why not? I, I love it. Now, I'm curious, too. You know, you, you get this fight against Haas. You know, you, you decide that you're going to go up to middleweight because obviously you have to. You're weighing at 197 at the time. But now you've had time. You, you've had time to cut. You've had time to do at least somewhat of a training camp. Maybe not a full one, but somewhat of a training camp. But you're you're back fighting Hawes at middleweight too. And, and you know, I've known you on the regional scene and, you know, in PFL and all those places. As a welterweight, what, what was sort of the decision behind deciding to do middleweight, deciding to do Phil Hawes again? Oh, Chris didn't decide to do anything. He called me like, hey, we're fighting Phil Hawes. And I said, okay. <laughs> so we're fighting Phil Hawes at 185. And I was like, okay. If that's what gets me my job, then fine. This was at no – nothing about this Like was like I – I didn't pick anybody I have a hat. I didn't pick a weight. They were like, hey, you're fighting Phil Hawes in three weeks at 185. And I was like, all right, let's go. Well, I love the mentality, and you are finally getting that shot. So I, I, I assume then safely – that, that the goal is after this fight, win or lose, we're talking being back at welterweight, right? Yeah. More than likely, we're going back to uh, 170. Uh, I talked to some people, some dietitians and nutritionists and some strength coaches. So we're going to go in here. I think Phil Haas would be a good test of the physicality because, like, you know, I train with a lot of good 85ers. Like uh, Roman DeLee's here, Sean Strickland, Brad Tavares, Puna, Soriano, uh, Maki, Avatario. Like, so I train with a lot of big 85ers. And I'm I'm like I'm like middle bottom of the pack in terms of strength, so we're gonna go to see how I feel against Hawes and like you know if I just feel like man it's too much of a gap in size, then we'll definitely go down. 
But if there's a question, if like, you know what, it wasn't as bad as I thought, maybe we'll spend some time bulking it up and uh, putting some strength on. Cause I've always been a shorter guy, but I'm 34 now. Like I can still make 70, but it's, you know, my quality of life takes a sharp dip when I do. And uh, honestly, I like not going to bed hungry. It's fucking phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I'm eating like 3,000 calories a day right now. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. So, well, you know, we'll, we'll use this as a litmus. Like, I'm not super uh, – there's no pressure on me for this fight, which is a good thing. I can just go out here and fucking fight. I'm going to go out here and fight my ass off. But there's really no pressure on me for this fight. Like, I'm doing – you know, I'm the guy that stepped up, so I'm going here to go. I'm going out here to try to kill Phil Hawes, but like, there's no pressure, so I kind of get to take into account some things and see how I feel and make my decision for after that. I love it. Now, I'm curious too because you know you were supposed to fight on that other fight card in the Apex. Uh, this one at Madison Square Garden in front of a huge crowd. You know, you fought in the Northeast a bunch of times with CEF and other organizations up this way. Like, what is it like to be not just on a UFC card, but on a UFC card in Madison Square Garden in front of a huge audience. So it is, I have a special power and I call it, you know, a fortunate son because my special power is even when I fail, I tend to fail <laughs> into like really cool situations. So I failed, like this entire thing failed. I didn't get the fight, but I got to fail forward into Madison Square Garden. Like, if we're people call us modern day gladiators, if we're modern day gladiators, Madison Square Garden is like the you know the the Coliseum of Coliseums, man. Like so many legends have fought here, everything else. And I get the debut on. I get to have my dream debut at Madison Square Garden. Like I won. Like I like I arguably I won. Like yeah, like I, I I can't be anything but happy. Like no matter what happens, I freaking won here. Like I get to go fight in MSG my UFC debut. I'm like, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, no complaints. Well, we're happy for you. Now, before I let you go, I do like to ask each fighter before I, I end the interview for a prediction. How do you see this one going down with Phil Haas on November 6th? I'm going third round TKO. I love it. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Chris Curtis who fights Phil Hawes at UFC 268. That fight is on November 6th in Madison Square Garden, New York City. Chris, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We certainly could not do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and Better Than Vegas. And remind you guys to check us out on Twitter and Instagram, at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby Vreeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll catch you then.